Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. This is Abdurrahman, and you're listening to the Heartwork series on the Qalam podcast. Heartwork is a weekly session at the Ruth Community Space in Dallas, Texas, where young professionals come together and discuss ideas and concepts on how to grow in their religious practice and their relationship with Allah. This particular series is called The Messenger, where the focus of the discussions will be on lessons from the life of the Prophet Muhammad wasallam. If you enjoy and appreciate these sessions and these series, then please consider becoming a sustainer of the Roots community space by going to rootsdfw.org slash sustain. We really appreciate your contribution. We appreciate your prayers. And we appreciate you listening to the programming that we put out. Jazakumullah khairan. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi Welcome back, alhamdulillah. Hope everyone's break was nice, uh, inshallah. Um, made a lot of dua for everybody when I was in the Holy Land in Jerusalem. Uh, everybody, inshallah, make your intention right now that you want to visit Masjid Aqsa. Amazing trip, amazing. And I'm not just talking about the falafel and all the food and delicious stuff, like just the entire experience. So incredible. Um, you know, beyond anything that a person can imagine. Obviously, you know, if you grew up like I did, um, and you're kind of more in the same generation, then the the Palestinian experience or the, the experience of visiting Palestine was something that was was always kind of seen as like a maybe just because of the Israeli occupation, not knowing whether or not you could get through, not knowing what the experience would be like. So there's a lot of question marks, right? Um, and going there now, alhamdulillah, there's our third year taking the group there. Absolutely amazing, totally worth it. Every delay every tiny inconvenience, like tiny stuff, uh, totally, absolutely worth it. So if you ever get a chance to go to Masjid Al-Aqsa, uh, you definitely should go through, inshallah. It's an amazing trip. And if you want to join us, then we go every Thanksgiving. So if you want to have uh, shawarma and falafel for Thanksgiving dinner, we can make that happen next year, inshallah. Okay. Um, but I hope everyone's doing well, inshallah. Um, make a special dua this week. The Bears play the Cowboys. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to uh, give, you know, give his ihtiram and give his, give his honor and nobility to the bears, and inshallah. And uh, my friend Rimmel, where's Rimmel, aka Buffalo Bill, right, because they lost this week. Inshallah, inshallah, Rimmel, inshallah. Uh, Rimmel, when you're crying on Thursday night, you can call me, I'll talk you through it, okay? All right, All right we'll watch together, inshallah. Okay, uh, anyways. On to more important things, right? On to more important things. Uh, last session that we had two weeks ago, we began uh, the miraculous journey of the Prophet Sallallahu known as Al-Isra al-Maraj. Um, it was happening in an incredibly, incredibly difficult time in the life of the Prophet Sallallahu So what was going on during this time? What was happening or what had happened to the Prophet Sallallahu during this this year that led up to this journey? Anyone? What, what events had happened leading up to it? The, the the few years before it, leading up to this miraculous journey. Okay. He lost his uncle and his wife, Abu Talib, and he lost his wife, Khadija, and her mother. Why, why is that a big deal besides the obviousness of it being just the loss of somebody's wife, the tragedy of losing your loved one, your companion, losing your uncle? Why was it an extra big deal? Yeah, Abu? Okay, because of Abu Talib, his uncle, he lost that sort of social protection that he had. Very good. So he lost that, you know, um, the credibility because Arab society was very much tied to nisbah, tied to a person's nisab, right? So when a person had their lineage uh, protected, right, and their lineage was highly ranking, that means that you couldn't touch them, right? No matter how much you disagree with somebody or hated them, you couldn't if they came from a strong tribal background. And if, especially if they still had living tribal leaders, it was like, no way. So Abu Talib was that, that sort of protection for the Prophet Sallallahu And then when he passes away, you have now like this open season. And then Khadija radiallahu anha, obviously first and foremost was the Prophet Sallallahu anchor, was, his, was his, his wife and was the support for his life, was the one who gave him his certainty when he was doubting himself and everything. Um, also, you know, there was a reality behind the fact that they were, uh, they were business people. And so she was a business genius. She was somebody who was running a business. And so there was obviously not just the emotional backing and the spiritual backing, but also the financial uh, you know, co-op that they had built together. So there was a lot of loss happening in the life of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam at that time. Not to mention 
now that it was open season on the Prophet, Sallallahu was also open season on who? Those who were following him. So not did he only see his family members pass away, but he also now was starting to see his friends dying and being tortured. And I want you to imagine again the, the, the mental anguish that a person would experience knowing that like you're the reason why people are dying. So you walk by Bilal being tortured and you know that you're the reason that's happening. Or you walk by Sumaya and Yasser being martyred and you think to yourself like I'm them, them accepting me is why this is happening to them. And I want you to imagine the kind of stress that that would put on the heart of a person. right? So the Prophet was witnessing all of this. And so as this was happening, and now the, 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 the attacks on him were intensifying, the plots were getting more serious. It was going from just basic, you know, ridicule and, you know, public harassment, mockery, to turning into like physical assault, now to like planning to like assassinate him. So it was growing by the day. And then you have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sending his angel Jibreel in the middle of the night to the Prophet Sallallahu home. Uh, and, and his home and where he was was in the place near the Kaaba when he was reflecting and praying and calling him to visit, right? And calling him to visit. So the first part of this, what we're talking about, we're doing a little bit of upgrade on the slides. The first part of this was the journey, the Isra, okay? The journey which we covered. We talked about the Prophet Wasallam was awoken by Angel Jibreel and then he was, his heart, right? The incision was made in his chest by Angel Jibreel's finger. His heart was removed and cleansed, much like it was done previously in his life before. Why? Why was it done? Because the scholars say that this was a way of removing all of the pain and all of the anguish that the Prophet Sallallahu had gone through, right? That in order for him to be able to really take in this journey and to be, be experience it in the way and process it in the way that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa wanted him to, he could not be overwhelmed by the anguish and anxiety of what he was going through. So Jibreel Salaam was given this task to clean his heart and to purify his heart once more. So when this happened, he then was motioned and instructed and told to step onto an animal named Al-Buraq. What was unique about this animal? Amongst many things. Huh? He had wings. Other animals have wings. Right? What was unique about it? Huh? The speed. Very good. So the wings. Okay. I'll give you this. Most horse-like animals don't have wings. Okay? So you're right. But the speed, the thing. The thing that the Prophet mentioned in his hadith is like every time he took a step, his next step would be the next point on the horizon. Every time he, stuck, he, he walked forward, this animal, when he was running, it would be covering that massive span of distance. Okay, so now he's making this journey. And again, we, I kind of made reference to it before, I'll do it again. We live in the empirical postmodern realm. So for us, everything that we interpret is through the lens of the scientific method. And through empiricism, meaning that if if something sounds, you know, a little bit skeptical, we're hyper skeptics. And so we're like, you know what? I don't think that this is possible. There's no way that this creature could exist, even if it did, if it broke the, you know, the, the barrier of sound or whatever, then the Prophet Sallallahu wasn't wearing the proper equipment. He would have been injured and like all these different sort of scientific. We have to realize something that, again, just like we have the systems that Allah Ta'ala gave us, physics, chemistry, biology, all these things that we've learned. Allah Ta'ala created the systems and he's, he's able to suspend them whenever he likes. He's able to pause them whenever he likes, just like you're able to pause certain things that you're in control of, right? And so this miraculous journey is very much that. It's, it's a miracle. It's not meant to be normal. It's not meant to be mundane. It's meant to wow you at every step. And so the Prophet Sallallahu is on this journey and on this journey, Allah Ta'ala gives him this insight. He gives him these moments, these visions, so to speak, of a couple different things. The first thing that happens is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives him the visions of these different groups that are represented. So as he's riding this animal, we said that on his on one of his sides, there was a group of people that represented the Christian faith who were calling out to him, asking him to wait because they wanted to ask him questions. And Jibreel, I said, I'm told him, don't wait, just keep going. Then the Prophet asked him, why did they come? And he said that if you paused, if you waited, then your community would have fallen off in the same way that the Christian community did after Isa ibn Maryam salam. That they would have sort of fallen away from being anchored to the tradition in the same way that the Christian community did. Same thing happened on his other side. The Jewish community came and called him to wait. Hey, wait, we want to ask you something. Jibril said the same thing. Keep going. Don't stop. Don't wait for them. Jibril said, had you waited for them, then your community would have taken the same diversion and path that the children of Israel, the Jewish community did. And then in front of him was the representation of a woman from the dunya, 
right? And she called to him, and he ignored because Jabril said, "Keep going." And he told him, "Ya Rasulullah, if you paused for her and if you talked to her and took and if you gave her your time, then your people would have chosen the dunya over the akhirah." And then the next moment was Shaytan calling to him, right? And so these were all these incredible moments. And then finally, at the end, you have this group of people that are saying, "Assalamu alaikum, Ya Rasulullah." And Jibreel says, these are a group of prophets, right? Only after all those moments of being tempted and tested was the Prophet given the affirmation of being greeted by people representing Allah. So we took from that, and that's where we stopped last session, was we took from that what? That you're not going to be able to get that affirmation that you need in the beginning. You're going to have to go through a lot of checkpoints. And I know I just came from Palestine, so this is kind of a pun. You're going to have to go through a lot of checkpoints, right? In order to get to the sweetness, the nectar, like the real deal, what you need for your faith. That validation, okay? And this journey, again, is very important because where it's going, the Prophet ﷺ is at a point in his mission as a prophet where there's a lot, not doubt in Allah, but there's a lot of question. There's a lot of concern. There's a lot of heaviness that he's feeling about what? Is he effective enough to do this job, right? Sometimes, you know, some you might be starting at your new you know, job or you might have an investment or you might have a client that you're working with. And after the first day or two, you might actually start even doubting yourself. You know you have what it takes to do what you need to do. But for some reason, you're like, I just cannot connect. I'm not feeling like I'm able to. And then you start doubting yourself. Am I, am I really fit for this? Am I really the one who's doing this? Am I really the one that's supposed to be able to, to handle this and take care of this? That's the same kind of feeling the Prophet was having. And so this journey was having. Now, the Prophet also tells us in a hadith that at some point, Jibreel stops the animal, the Buraq, and he tells the Prophet Sallallahu can you, you know, get down? And he says that it was a land of like lush palm trees. And then the Prophet Sallallahu says, well, what should I do? And Jibreel says, you should step down and you should pray, offer a prayer here. So he prayed there, and then the Prophet Sallallahu said, where are we? And Jibreel said, this is Ardun Tayyib, that this is a land that is beautiful and blessed and good and pure. And he says, uh, and this is the place that you're going to be making your hijrah to. So he actually paused in Medina, and the Prophet Sallallahu this is almost like foreshadowing, he got this ability to pray in Medina before the Hijra even happened, right? And then the next land that they went to was the land of Median. And he said, this is the place where Musa salam was. And then they went to Tur, and they prayed there. And he said, this is the land where Musa salam spoke to Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala. And then they went to Bethlehem. They got down, they prayed there. And what happened in Bethlehem? Yeah, Isa was born in Bethlehem, right? So he said, this is where Isa ibn Maryam was born. So they're getting closer and closer to Jerusalem, but they're stopping along the way. And the Prophet ﷺ is being given these little moments, right? The first one, he's being told by Jibreel, what? This is where your migration is going to happen. So now all these anxieties and question marks the Prophet ﷺ has about the future, what is happening? He's being given these little sneak peeks that, you know what? I'm actually going to have a way out of this. And then he's being introduced and being referred to and, and referenced to previous prophets. He's being told about previous prophets. What does that do for the Prophet ﷺ? Why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala find it fitting for the Prophet ﷺ to be told about previous prophets, Musa and Isa and others? What is that going to do for him in this moment of heaviness and doubt? Huh? Why? Absolutely. Absolutely, right? You're, when you step onto that, that, that new job and you see somebody that you can connect with who's gone through it and they look at you and say, I've been through this, even if you don't know how, even if you don't know what the pathway looks like, you have this confidence now. You say, you know what? If they're able to do it, then I definitely can do it, especially if you did better in undergrad than they did, right? And you're like, for sure I can do this, you know? <laughs> I had a friend actually when I was having kids, I was really nervous. I was having Musa. He came up to me. He's like, look, man. He's like, you'll be fine. And I was like, inshallah, you know, make dua for me. And I'm making hajj. And my hajj is going to be all making dua that I'm a good dad. And he goes, dude, let me just, let me just break down for you. He goes, I'm a dad. And he goes, do you know what I mean by that? And I was like, I think. And he goes, if I can do it, anybody can do it, right? <laughs> and that was kind of the approach he took. But in reality, in, that, in those times of difficulty, company is beloved, right? In those times of difficulty, having community is beloved. And this is why the first part of this journey wasn't directly to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but it was actually to this place of Jerusalem because Jerusalem is the land of, of prophets. Like every prophet has been through Jerusalem. When you go there, there's like history that's tied to every single prophet, whether it's Yunus, whether it's Musa, whether it's, you know, Sulaiman, whether it's Isa, 
There's profit. There, there's literally prophethood everywhere in 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 Quds, in the Holy Land. And so Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is taking him here, and now he arrives to this Meshul Aqsa, and Jibril tells him to get down, and he goes. And before him, gathered before him, are all of the souls of all the prophets. Now, in one narration, we're told that there were over 124,000 prophets. We're told that there were over 124,000 prophets. In another narration, we're told that there were over 300,000 prophets. That from the beginning of time till now, that God sent over 300,000 prophets whose job was to remind people to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And either they had a scripture or they were reaffirming the scripture that was sent before them. Okay? So the Prophet ﷺ rolls up to Masjid Al-Aqsa, and it's a massive compound, by the way, it's huge. And he rolls up, and Jibreel introduces him to all of these Prophets. And in the front row of this, of this prayer, of this Jama'at, just like the prayer we just did, who's there? Prophet Musa, Prophet Ibrahim, Prophet Isa, Prophet Yunus, all of like the, the legends, the heavy hitters. And what happens when it's time to pray? What's the kind of like the awkward moment that everyone experiences when it's time to pray? Everyone's lined up and then what? Who leads? Yeah, exactly. It happened there too. They're all standing there and they're like looking at each other like, but they weren't doing that awkward thing where like one guy kind of walks up and you're, you know, he's like, no, 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 I won't lead as he's walking forward. You're like, you're saying I'm not going to lead and you're walking forward, right? They were all looking at each other and they were kind of, and then Jibreel Aysan steps up and he calls the Adhan. And he motions, and Ibrahim Aysalam, and everyone motions to the Prophet Sallallahu and they say, what? You lead. You lead. Now I want you to think of the psychological impact of this. The Prophet Sallallahu is being greeted by people that he's only heard about. These legends that he's never met. And he's meeting them, right, in this way, at a time when he is unsure if he's fit to do the job. He's unsure. He's gone through such difficult, I mean, losing his family, being rejected by his people, going to Ta'if and being rejected by them, being lost now in the middle of the desert, having to ask somebody for protection so he can go back into his city. Like, he's just like, what am I going to do? Is this, is this really for me? And now he's meeting all these prophets, and what do they do? They say, you're our leader. We went through this, and we're telling you. I mean, think about the affirmation and the healing that it did to the Prophet Sallallahu heart. This is why one of the lessons that I take from this story, subhanAllah, is the necessity of community. The necessity of community. I mean, there will be times where you will absolutely, positively doubt yourself in any way, whether it's your faith or your professional ability or your emotional stability or anything. You'll be doubting yourself. And then you'll go to your like friends, your like circle, your community, your village, and they'll tell you, like, nah, you're wrong. Like, you're totally good. Like, don't even trip. Don't even worry about it. Let's just go hang out. Let's go get a bite to eat. And you know what? Most of the time, they may not even know what they're talking about. Like, in reality, like, I've been there with friends who were just like, you're good, man, don't worry about it, it'll be fine. I'm like, how do you know? They're like, I don't. <laughs> but, subhanAllah, the positivity is infectious. The positivity, it helps. And sometimes all you need are those vibes. All you need is the positivity to reaffirm your heart and give yourself that thabat that you need, that strength that you need, in order to make it through that day or that night that you weren't sure you would have made it through had you not had community. This is why in Islam we recite every day Surah Al-Fatiha, we ask God to guide us. Islam is not an individual, individualistic enterprise. It's not something you can go by yourself. It's not a sole proprietorship. You cannot be a Muslim individually. It's impossible. There are so many things that are obligatory upon you that require you to be with people. Right? Try making Hajj alone. Good luck. Right? Try, you know, Ramadan. Like, Ramadan brings everybody together. Salat al-Jum'ah every Friday brings everybody together. You know, the eight prayers, there's a communal aspect to this stuff. Why? Because sometimes you need it to give yourself that, 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 that support that otherwise you would have lost. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is bringing the Prophet before he even before even the rest of the miracle, he's bringing the Prophet to meet his brothers. And he's saying, these are your people. This is your village. Your own people rejected you. They're not really your people. These are your people. And the Prophet he leads them in prayer. And afterwards, Jibreel he takes him to the uh, highest point in the Aqsa compound, known as the Dome of the Rock. So this is a very big confusion a lot of people have. You guys know the Dome of the Rock? I took that picture, by the way. MashaAllah. Right? Okay. So the Dome of the Rock, the Dome of the Rock is the building that has the gold dome. All right? Qubat al-Sukhra. It's the Dome of the Rock. Okay? Masjid al-Aqsa, I wish I put a picture of that. Um, Masjid al-Aqsa is in front of it. Right? Is in front of it. The whole 
that masjid al-Aqsa is actually called masjid al-Qibli, the masjid of the Qibla, right? And the whole compound is actually the Aqsa masjid. So there's actually seven masajid on the Aqsa compound that are all considered the Aqsa masjid. Even if you pray on the marble, it's still considered Aqsa. So if you pray in the Dome of the Rock, any of this is a big confusion that a lot of people have. And so the Prophet ﷺ prayed in Masjid al-Aqsa, and then he was taken to the Dome of the Rock. Why? Because the Dome of the Rock was the highest point in the whole compound. It's in the center, it's the highest point. It's like a, it's like a hill, it's like a small mountain. Okay? And he was taken there, and after this moment where he was you know, greeted by these Prophets and his brothers, then Jibreel ﷺ took him to this place, and this is where he ascended through the seven heavens on his journey to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But on his journey, he stopped and he met some of the Prophets. Okay? He stopped and he met, I also took this picture, mashallah, this is dumb, of Masjid Aqsa, mashallah, okay? So he stopped and he met some of the Prophets on the way. Now, why did he meet some of the Prophets? There's really no reason that's given to us in the Quran or Hadith about why Allah made him meet Prophets on the way. But some scholars have talked about it and they say, you know what? If you think about it, each Prophet kind of had their own story and there's always a connection between what the Prophets went through and what the Prophet Muhammad went through, right? I'll give you an example. Prophet Muhammad during the hardest point of his life, during Amul Huzn, the year of sadness, when all this was going down, Allah revealed to him the chapter of Yusuf, Surah Yusuf, chapter 12. What happened in Surah Yusuf? Everything. Very good, okay? Every, I mean, you're talking about what themes do we have in Surah Yusuf? We have, yeah, abandonment, uh, betrayal, you know, confusion in the beginning. He has a dream, he's unsure. I mean, was the Prophet some unsure in the beginning? Yeah, same thing. Abandoned by his brothers, the Prophet ﷺ grew up with these Meccans and they abandoned him, betrayed him, okay? Then, you know, the Prophet, uh, Prophet Yusuf was sent to a completely different land. The Prophet ﷺ went to Medina, had to experience, had to build a community there, right? Had to go through different trials, different difficulties. Yusuf ﷺ, same thing, was in prison. So all these themes, they connected. So when the Prophet ﷺ heard these stories of previous Prophets, you know, that idea that going through this, I'm not alone, it gives a person strength. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, on the way to meeting Allah, is giving him the opportunity to meet other prophets so that those prophets can all tell him, like, you're good. Don't worry about it. You're good. It's like when you're interning at a company and, like, the partners and the juniors and the seniors are like, don't worry about it. You're good. I remember my days when I was, like, you know, late on the first day and I had this giant coffee stain on my shirt and I made a mistake or I sent I cc'd an email accidentally to the wrong person and all this kind of, and they'll tell you these things why because they want you to know that hey look where I am you'll be fine so the prophet sallallahu the first messenger that he meets in the first heaven is Adam is Adam why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala introduce him to Adam and all these prophets very beautifully like they had really beautiful greetings for the prophet sallallahu they would like praise him and like, oh, we're, we were so excited to meet you. We've heard about you, right? Again, giving him that positive, kind of like, you know, kind of like gassing him up a little bit, right? Kind of like giving him that, that hype, like, oh, we're so excited to meet you. So why do you think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala introduced him to Adam? Why? What's the lesson from Adam? That's where it all started. Where it all started. And sometimes when you're kind of shaky in life, you have to go back to your foundation. You have to remember why it all started, Right. Sometimes, like, when you're, uh, every time my life is kind of going wonky, it's like haywire a little bit, like, things are, you guys ever had a moment where it's like one week, 17 things go wrong, and it's just like this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and everything's going south, and you're like, what is happening? You're like, who, who nuzzered me? Like, what is this, you know, like, what, who is giving me the evil eye? Who did it ain't on me, right? That's like the first thing you think, like, everything, like, you get a letter, a bill, you get a fine, you know, your, your house, your kids are sick, whatever. Like your job, you get a bad email from your boss. Your parents are upset with you. Like everything's just going south. You're like, Lord Almighty, right? Wow, the tidal wave. And those moments, my teachers taught me as well. And this is a huge lesson from here. You have to go back to your basics. You have to go and restore, right, who you are at your foundation. The first question I ask when things are going south, the first question is, how's my salah? That's the first question I had. When things are going real south, like real fast, like sharp left, I would ask myself, how's my prayer? Am I doing them? If I'm doing them on time, if I'm doing them on time, how's my quality during that prayer? Am I rushing through it, right? Or am I actually trying to like take time through it and enjoy it and savor it like I would do with things that I want to be doing, okay? And typically when I find myself recommitting to prayer, it doesn't erase the bad things that are happening but it gives me strength to deal with them. 
Sometimes it does take care of them. Sometimes I pray and it's like, oh, JK, right? We made a mistake. I'm like, okay, alhamdulillah. And sometimes you, you come out of it and you're like, salam alaikum, and you're like, looking around, you're like, is this still there? All right? And my kid's still coughing. I'm like, dang it. But I find that strength, right? I find that strength to be able to deal with it now. Why? Because I've connected. I've gone back to my foundation. I've, I've, I've solidified my core. And now I'm able to go into it with a little bit more strength. So Allah Ta'ala introduces him to Adam. Why? To kind of give him back to basics. Like, look, you're so concerned about all this stuff that's happening, all the things people are saying about you. Remember the core of it. Why was Adam even sent to worship Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala? La ilaha illallah. You know, sometimes we get so caught up in everything in life, like everything. You blink and like, this is changing, and that's changing, and this is person's president, and this person's getting impeached, and Connie is preaching at Joel Steve's church, and you're like, <laughs> what's happening, right? And you're like, global warming is happening, and this, and you know, all this horrible stuff is occurring, and sometimes you just have to take a minute to remind yourself, I'm here to worship Allah. It doesn't mean that I, I'm, a, I'm a hermit, and I just erase myself from society and just delete my thoughts and my actions. No, but what it means is, look, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do whatever I can, but at the end of my effort, I'm going to remind myself, I'm here to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's my goal. I'm not going to lose myself in action and anxiety and frustration, so much so that I forget that my purpose is to worship Allah. Because that's what can happen when you become so invested and so involved in whatever it is that you're doing, you can forget why you're here. You can forget your purpose. You know, drama and beef and relationships and friendships and work, and you just like tossing and turning all night and you forgot to pray to Shah. Or you're so stressed out that you sleep through Fajr. What's the point? What's the point? In one week, two weeks, three weeks, all the drama will be gone. But how many prayers did we miss in the meantime? Right? So sometimes you just got to remind yourself of your purpose. Another reason scholars brought up was pretty dope. I love this one. Was that Adam Ayyasadam, when he was in Jannah originally, and then he ended up making, he slipped, and he went near the tree, and he took from the tree, and he was removed from paradise. But now where's the Prophet Sallallahu meeting him again? In paradise. Which means what? Things can go south, but they'll eventually come back. Things can go bad, but they'll eventually get back to normal. Adam Salam was in Jannah. He was removed from Jannah. And now the Prophet is meeting him where? In Jannah. Times were good, O Muhammad, Ya Rasulullah Times were good. Now they're kind of bad, but they're going to be what? Good again. Right? Kind of giving him that reminder. So this is one of the meetings. The next heaven, he met Isa. He met Prophet Jesus, Salam. And they had a conversation again, beautiful, beautiful introductions, beautiful praise of one another. And the scholars say, what, what's the benefit of meeting Isa? Well, the Prophet ﷺ was in a moment, he was in a crucial moment in his life when he was experiencing how his nation was going in the wrong direction. And sometimes when you're in charge of something and it's not going well, then what do you think of yourself? What do you think of yourself? You doubt yourself. You call yourself a failure, right? If you're in charge of something, you have a role and you're trying your best, and it's not working, then you start to say what? I'm a failure. Maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I'm the one that is the issue. I need to remove myself from this. And then the Prophet ﷺ meets who? He meets Isa. He meets Isa, who his people were started off okay, and then eventually they deviated so far that they actually ended up claiming him to be a god himself. So the Prophet ﷺ is meeting Prophet Isa, and Isa is reminding him, like, my people went way far off, Right? Like, you're supposed to be teaching people to worship God alone. And guess what? They're worshiping me. And the Quran says that Isa is going to come back on the Day of Judgment. He's going to say, I never told any of you to worship me. Why did you do that? Right? Why did you go that direction? So the Prophet is getting this reminder from Isa that no matter how hard you try, there will be some moments in your life that are just completely and totally out of your control. You have no control over it. You just got to accept it. You just got to accept that sometimes you're going to put 100% effort and you're going to get 0% result. You're going to put 100% effort, you're going to fail. Does that make you a failure? No. What would make you a failure is if you gave 0% effort. Right? Allah Ta'ala tells us to do good. He doesn't tell us to complete the good. We, we don't have control over that. So Isa is proof of that. The Prophet Sallallahu meeting him is showing him this. The next person he meets in the third heaven is Yusuf. Yusuf's story is powerful. We just went over a lot of the themes. One of them was that his own people turned against him. But what happened at the end of the story of Yusuf? Spoiler alert. What happened at the end? Huh? He became king. But then what happened with the people who went against him? Who went against him? His family, right? His brothers. And then what happens at the end? 
They ask for his forgiveness, and what does he do? He forgives them. He forgives them. The Prophet is being taught something very powerful. He's being taught the power of forgiveness. He's being told by Yusuf his story. He knows Yusuf's story. It just got revealed in the Quran. And he's being told that this Prophet had the strength to forgive. By the way, forgiveness is not a weakness, it's a strength. Yusuf had every right. I mean, his brothers literally threw him down a well and left him for dead. I mean, if he died, they wouldn't have cared. If he died, it wouldn't have bothered them a single bit. Now they're coming back and they're meeting him. He's a king. What would you do? What would you do? Anyone here ever have sibling rivalry issues? And then like something comes up and you're on top? Right? Oh, now you need me. Right? What happened? Like your, your human, like devilish self takes over. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Not so fast, right? Have some respect. Last, last conversation I remember wasn't going this way. Now you need, you know? <laughs> it was like my brother. My brother and I used to fight. Now he's a doctor with any prescriptions like Sharif. He's like, say you were wrong. Say every time you were wrong. Or when he needs a fatwa, I'm like, Sharif, right? He calls me, he's like, I need your answer. What's the answer in Islam to this? I'm like, oh, oh, the guy you, I was an idiot my whole life. No, what does Islam say about this, right? Like, okay, Sharif, right? So it's, it's normal, it's normal. And forgiveness in these moments is tough. It's very tough to forgive. When you're upset, when you're hurt, when you're not even angry, when you're hurt, it's, it's really difficult to forgive. The Prophet, وسلم, I mean, talk about hurt. His people... I mean, he, he spent 40 years in the city. He grew up. Remember, we talked about it. Before he received revelation, he was a champion. I mean, he was like the, he was the man in Mecca. He walked in. People were like praising him. They were celebrating him. He was trusted, beloved. Any problem they had, he walked in. They were like, problem solved. Muhammad's here. So suddenly. And then he receives revelation. And what happens? All of that goes away. Why? Because you guys want these idols in your business. Like, that's it. That's why you... T- you just left me for dead. You dumped me on the side. You're now tr- plotting to kill me because of what? Because I'm saying that Allah is one. And Yusuf here is telling him, reminding him what? One day there will come a day when these same people who are trying to kill you are going to come back to you and ask you for forgiveness. And to show you who you are, you have to forgive them on that day. Not about them. You're not forgiving people for them. You're forgiving people so that you can show yourself that you're forgiven and that you can be forgiven because the person who forgives Allah Ta'ala will forgive them right and that's exactly what happens when the Prophet returns back to Mecca after the conquest of Mecca in the final two uh, in the final two years of his life actually he returns back and he comes face to face with the same people that caused him pain caused his family and friends death took their belongings caused them to bleed literally comes face to face with them and they come to him and they say, what? Now that they realize the Prophet walks on in, he strolls into Mecca, no resistance. He comes on in. They say to him, oh, you're so kind. You're so generous. You're so forgiving because they're scared. And he says to them exactly what Yusuf said to his brothers on the day when they came back. There's no blame on you today. God will forgive you. I mean, that is difficult. And who knows? One of the reasons why Allah Ta'ala introduced him to Yusuf was what? Look at the face of somebody who forgave. Look at the face, look at the strength of somebody who was able to forgive people. Be that person when your time comes, right? So this lesson of forgiveness is huge, especially when you've been caused so much pain. Then the next, the next person he meets is Idris. Anyone here named Idris? Anybody? No. It's kind of, it's coming around. You know, names kind of go through like phases, right? So it's coming around. Idris is kind of like a new... Come back, okay? Idris is one of the early prophets, Salam. So there's not really much known about him. We know a few things. Number one, we know he was incredibly calm. We know he didn't talk a lot. He was very reflective. We know he had very high moral character. And a very interesting thing about him, most prophets were sent to correct people's beliefs. Meaning that when, when, when they were sent to their people, there was a belief issue that was happening. They were worshiping something else. They were not worshiping Allah. It was something about their belief. Idris was sent to a group of people who were technically submitting to Allah, but they were just incredibly corrupt people. Very immoral. I mean, we're talking about corruption and, you know, uh, all kinds of things. Murder, stealing, adultery, everything. And so his job was to try to, like, clean up people's character. 
And again, he's very wise. He's very calm, very soft-spoken. So he engaged with them. He taught them. But then eventually their corruption got to such a point where they started to fight with each other because obviously what happens? If you want to steal something and a person resists and then you have this corruption in you that wants to steal, you're going to kill that person, right? Some people try to you know, commit theft and murder happens along the way. So this is what's happening. Corruption begets more corruption. It never stops itself. So Idris had to actually take arms against these people. And he fought them and he conquered them and he brought everyone back to being good moral people. As a result of this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him that one of your rewards as a prophet is that everybody who follows you on earth, everybody who comes after you, all the good that they do, you're going to be getting reward for it. So Idris is getting all the goodness that we do. When Idris heard this, he said, you know what? I want to increase my life as much as I can because if I keep doing more good than people who follow me, I'm going to get more reward. So he met with an angel, just like the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam used to meet with Jibreel. He met with an angel and he told that angel, hey, do me a favor. Do you know the angel of death? He's like, yeah. Went to college together, right? <laughs> do you know the angel of death? Yeah. Do you mind going like negotiating with him? Maybe he can negotiate with Allah for me and give me a few more years. He goes, okay. He goes, come with me. I'll take you to the heavens. We'll talk to him yourself. So, Idris gets onto the back of the angel and they start ascending the heavens and they make it heaven number one, number two, number three, and they meet the angel of death in heaven number four. Angel of death says, hey, what are you doing here? He goes, I'm coming on behalf of Sayyidina Idris, Ayy Salam, Prophet Idris. He goes, yeah, what does he want? He goes, well, you know, Allah Ta'ala told him he's going to get rewarded for everything. He kind of wants to get more time to expand that reward. So, he came and he kind of wanted to negotiate with you and with Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala about getting a little bit more time, more life, okay? And the angel of death goes, subhanAllah. And the angel goes, what? And he goes, you know, I was told to take the soul of Prophet Idris at the fourth heaven. And I thought to myself, I know that he's on earth. How am I going to take his soul in the fourth heaven? And the angel who was talking to him goes, subhanAllah. And he goes, angel of death goes, let me guess, he's with you. He goes, yeah, he's on my back. And at that moment, the angel of death took the soul of Idris, salam, right? Why does the Prophet Sallallahu meet this person? And where did he meet him? Which heaven? Fourth, where he was. Why did he meet him there? One of the scholars said something beautiful. Your destiny is your destiny. You know, sometimes you try to run away as fast as you can from what Allah has written for you. And just like Imam Shafi'i and others have said, whatever you, Allah writes for you, no one else is going to get it. It's yours. Whatever Allah does not write for you, you're never going to get it. It's somebody else's. So, Try to align your desires with what Allah wants for you. And inshallah, you'll find yourself happy with your destiny. You'll be pleased with what Allah has written for you. Right? Make your heart malleable to the idea that Allah has written this for me. Idris was like, I want to spend more time doing good. Allah Ta'ala said, that's not your choice. That's not your choice. Your soul was to be taken. Okay? The next level, he meets Harun. Then he meets Musa. Then he meets Ibrahim. We don't have time to go through all of them. So go to Ibrahim a.s. Ibrahim what's the lesson in meeting Ibrahim, again, with all these prophets, but Ibrahim most heavily is known for his sincerity and his commitment to Allah, despite all the trials he was put through. I mean, literally, there's a story that I'll tell you, it's phenomenal. We just visited, actually, in Khalil, in, 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 in Quds, near Quds, there's a city called Khalil, Hebron. Uh, it's really horrific. You know, in, in the 90s, there's was, there was a mesh there called Meshid Ibrahimi. It's literally the mesh where Ibrahim is buried along with many of his relatives. And uh, in the 90s, there was, there was, during Ramadan, during the Fajr prayer, there was actually a, a Zionist physician from California, of all places. And he came into the masjid and he shot and killed over 30 people and injured many more. And when you go there, you can actually see the bullet holes in the, you know, the mihrab where the imam leads. You can see the bullet holes. They patch them up. Crazy city. Crazy place. Because... Because the tensions between the Muslims and the, and, the, and the Zionist settlers there are so tough, the place is on lockdown. I have pictures of it. It's barbed wire everywhere. IDF everywhere. I mean, you're talking about kids walking around with, with like assault rifles in their faces. This is the city of Ibrahim. SubhanAllah. Ibrahim, and, and the reason why this city is so beautiful is because the Muslims are, you know, their shops have been shut down. Their businesses have been destroyed. Their family's livelihood have been, and they won't leave. They won't, they're like that guest at your house. They will not leave. <laughs> Why won't they leave? Why won't the Palestinians just leave? And they're being offered money, by the way. 
They're being offered money. One guy came up to us and he told us, he goes, I have a story for you. And a lot of Palestinians, when you're there, they're like, I have a story for you. Like, okay, it's story time, right? Mashallah. And they, no, and a lot of them are very heartfelt. But one guy, there was something in his face where you're just like, I have to listen to this guy. He said, I have a story for you. I said, what? He goes, you know, all of the settlers and all of the corporations, the Israeli Zionist corporation that come and they try to take our land. He said, they offer, they try to do it first by offering us money. He goes, they don't just come in with bulldozers and rifles right away, right? Because they know that's wrong. I mean, even, even the most evil of people know that this is not the right way. Like, you can't do that, right? You can only avoid public, worldwide scrutiny for so long. So the first, he said the first thing they do is they come in with checkbooks. And they say, you know what? What do you want? Name your price. And he goes, I was there in the living room. And he swore by Allah. He said, he said I swear by Allah. I was there in the living room when my father was sitting. And he said that they came in and they had a checkbook. And they wrote, the, they signed it and they handed it to him. They said, you fill out the price that you want. You write down whatever number you want. I just saw some faces, right? <laughs> that new Tesla ugly truck. <laughs> How much is it, right? They're like, really? Okay. $32,000, right? Okay. And you know what the guy says? He goes, my dad, he looked at the check, and he just looks up and he goes, I can't. And they were shocked. They're like, what do you mean? Is it not in your name? Is the deed not in your name? And he goes, no. He goes, this land of Quds, of Khalil, of everywhere that has Muslim heritage, he goes, it's not ours, it's all the Muslims. And he goes, I'll give it to you if you go get a piece of paper that has the entire signature of everyone in the Ummah. It's not my land to sell. He goes, I'm staying here so that my Muslim brothers and sisters from across the world can come and visit and pray in the Masjid of Ibrahim. So he took the check and he ripped it up. He said, take it away. Like that is Ibrahim Commitment, principle, principle. What is the one thing that shakes people is money. Like the one thing that will shake your commitment to anything is what? Money. That's when the fit questions start coming in. All right? Every, that's when they're like, Imam, I have a question. Okay, I got this job offer, right? <laughs> I swear I'd never do it, but the salary, right? <laughs> money is what rattles Iman. Allah says, You love money. Ibrahim, all the prophets, their people, when they, were, when they were rattled, they were like, what do you want? What do you want? And then finally, after enough, no, 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 nothing, nothing, nothing. And then they start to say, you know, we just have to kill you. So the Ibrahim them, what they did is they built a massive fire, a massive pit. And they said, you know what? You're so strong. You're so committed that the only way to get rid of your commitment is by getting rid of you. And so he says what? He says that in the Quran, Allah Ta'ala says that they called out, right? They called out to their people, the, the tribe. They said, build a fire and protect your gods because you have this guy, Ibrahim, who's now preaching against your gods. Protect your gods, right? Which is so ironic, like your gods need your protection. And they built this massive fire and they catapulted Ibrahim, like all the villagers are on watching, it's a spectacle. They catapulted Ibrahim into the fire. In the middle of the air, there's a hadith that says that Jibreel Islam came to him. Allah Ta'ala paused it in motion, all right? Think the matrix, okay? So Allah paused it, and Jibreel Aysan comes to him, and Ibrahim looks at Jibreel, and Jibreel says, Haja? Is there anything you want? <laughs> you know? Basically, he's saying, I've been sent to help you. <laughs> and Ibrahim, again, listen to his answer. Don't let it trip you out. His commitment is so strong. You know what he says? From you? No. From you? Because Jibreel's like, do you have anything you want? And he goes, from you? No. He says, Allah will take care of me. Now, I know that I spent a lot of time telling everybody, you have to trust Allah, but you have to tie your camel. Okay? And that is generally the rule, the norm. But there are some exceptional cases where you have people that are just so strong that their tawakkul just wills it into existence. So what does the next ayah in the Quran say? That Allah Ta'ala says to the fire, Allah changed the nature of fire. Fire is what? Hot. Thank you. Very good. Right? Everyone's awake. Awesome. Okay? Fire is hot. Allah Ta'ala commanded the fire because of the trust in Ibrahim. God, he had so much trust in God that Allah did not want to let him down. That he told the fire, be cool and peaceful upon him. Because why? Because in the middle of the air, when everyone's heart would be beating out of their chest, 
right? I want I was I was flying in from from Houston on Saturday night when I landed from Istanbul, and we we hit turbulence on the way in because it was really really tough weather all across the country. We hit turbulence, and everybody you saw white knuckles on the on the armrest. Everyone's like. <gasps> Right, and even I did it. I just closed Netflix and I was like, <laughs> "You just have to at some point. You just like, okay, I'm not gonna make the last thing I do going down. You know, watching this. Like, I'm I gotta, you know. So, Subhanallah, in that moment, Ibrahim was like, "I'm good, I'm good. He's chilling. His resting heart rate's like 60. Okay, and he's in the middle of the air. Allah Taala commanded that. Allah Taala will allow miracles to happen when you are convicted, when you have conviction in Allah." The hadith says what? That when you ask Allah, Allah is shy to turn away from you. What? Empty-handed. Allah doesn't want you to turn away. Empty-handed. Right? So this is one of the lessons when he met Ibrahim, at the seventh heaven. And then the Prophet keeps going to the end of the seventh heaven. And there was a tree there, the tree that signifies or symbolizes the end of the seventh heaven. And beyond that is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. And now where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, even Jibreel stops and says, you're on your own here. I can't go past here. This is only for you. So the Prophet he moves forward and he enters into the presence of Allah. Now, how did this look? How did this experience? How did this feel? A lot of difference of opinions. Even Sahaba themselves differed on this. The reality is it happened. Allah knows best how it happened. Okay. Allah knows best. So he goes and he meets to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they obviously had a beautiful conversation. But part of that conversation was that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this whole journey was set up for this nice gift. You know, it's almost like anyone here ever been part of like a wedding house, a wedding weekend for like your cousin or your sibling. Like there's all those gifts and then there's more gifts. And at the end, there's like, this is your great grandmother's jewelry, right? <laughs> like the real deal, the thing you're waiting for. So you have like appetizer, palate cleanser, appetizer, and then you have like the actual the peace de resistance, like the main core. So Allah Ta'ala is giving him all these small gifts along the way, and now he's going to meet Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Which is, by the way, the hadith says that in Jannah, we're all going to get anything that we want, say inshallah, because we're all going to be there inshallah. But you know what's going to be the most satisfying thing to all the souls in paradise is when they get to meet Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Imagine meeting Allah, the one that you did everything for. The one that you prayed to, the one that you asked for forgiveness, the one that, like imagine finally meeting Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And having that relationship, no longer far away. The ultimate comfort will be meeting the one that is your your creator, your caretaker, right? Just like seeing an old friend after a long time, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow that to happen to us. So he meets Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah ta'ala gives him the prayers, the daily prayers. But guess how many it was? It was 50. This is a Sunday school story everybody knows, right? <laughs> 50 prayers. And you know what the Prophet was like, good, good, I'm good. Can you imagine? Could you imagine? <laughs> Could you imagine? So the Prophet leaves that gathering, that presence of Allah, and Musa is waiting for him. Musa says, hey, what happened? <laughs> and the Prophet said, he gave me the prayers. And he goes, how many? And he said, khamsin. And he goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> literally, Musa goes, I have dealt with this. And the hadith literally says, I have dealt with people. I'm telling you, they're not going to be able to handle it. He says, go and ask for less. Prophet goes and asks, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, okay, 40. He leaves, and Musa says, okay, what was the update? And he says, uh, yeah, it's 40 now. And he goes, no, 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 man. You gotta ask for less. So he goes back, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, 30. This happens 30, 20, 10, and then 5. He comes out after 5, and Musa says, look, I know that this sounds redundant, but even that's too much. And the Prophet says, I would go back, but I'm too shy. I've asked too much. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he told him five, he said, your nation originally upon them was 50, but now it's only five. But if they do five, they'll be given the reward of 50. SubhanAllah. And one of the scholars in his commentary, he wrote, Jazakallah khair to Musa. Jazakallah khair to Musa. May Allah reward you, Musa. We're getting our back. He actually wrote that in his commentary, subhanAllah. He wrote that, okay? So this was the name. Now, there's a lot to talk about here, and I want to end because it's already a little bit over. But what's what's the beauty of this entire experience, subhanAllah, is that in the moment when the Prophet Sallallahu needed something, he needed the thing to help solve his issues, he got salah. 
you got prayer. So we take a couple lessons here. Number one is that prayer is one of the most powerful things a person can do when they're in need. When they're in need of Allah, which is every day, but not all of us recognize that we're in need every day. But when we realize that, prayer is the thing that we can do. Allah Ta'ala could have sent the Prophet Sallallahu an army. He could have given him a treasure chest of gold. He could have given him anything. He could have given him a special dua that he could have made that would have obliterated people or converted everybody or whatever. He could have given him like some secret, but instead he gave him salah. Why? Because salah is the process that connects the believer to Allah. It's the, it's the connection. And what does a person need when they're being beaten up by life? They need Allah. They need to connect to Allah. That's why the scholars say that you might not have the ability to take a miraculous journey to Aqsa and then go to the heavens. But they say that that prayer is your own personal ascension. That you're going to be living in your domain of the material world and dealing with business and work and family and this and sickness and health and you know all this stuff. Social life and difficulties and drama and whatever. And then the time for prayer comes and that is your ma'raj. That's when you're like, pause, dunya. I have an appointment in the akhirah. I have to go and cleanse myself, just like the Prophet Sallallahu heart was cleansed. And I have to go and face the qibla, just like, just like the Prophet Sallallahu was taken to the qibla at the time. And I have to stand and I have to talk to Allah, just like the Prophet Sallallahu spoke to Allah. And when you think of prayer like that, it goes from being something that feels like a burden to being something of an opportunity. It's a blessing. All right? It's like a meeting that other people want. But you got it. You have it. You have a regularly scheduled meeting with Allah that so many other people could die for and want. Now, how do we treat it? How do we treat that? So this is one of the lessons that we'll take. That is the ascension of the believer. We ask Allah to make us appreciate the prayer. We ask Allah to give us ascension in our prayer. That our prayer elevates us and does not keep us grounded. And that we are able to benefit from it and find strength in it. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to take the lessons from all the prophets, whether it was patience or forgiveness or learning from difficulties or being committed or just going back to basics. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us strength in our iman, just like all the prophets had strength in their faith. We ask, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us the ability to follow the example of the Prophet that in times of difficulty we return back to our faith. Amin ya Rabbil Alameen. Next, inshallah, we're going to go to this part of the story where the Prophet goes back to Mecca and tells everybody what happened, inshallah, which is a really interesting story. Barakallahu everybody. Take care, inshallah. We'll see you guys next Monday. Assalamu alaikum.